Wow. If I had legs like Tim, I'd have kept my shorts on as well. There we go. I've not, well, I did wear some shorts, which was getting the pool to baptize Um Sorry. I don't know why I got onto that side. Oh, I didn't mean to. I just put my bottle of water down on the PowerPoint. So there we go. Um, when we were away, uh, we, there's a tuck shop at our house. And uh, if, if you've ever been into a Christian uh, tuck shop or gift shop, there are amazing places. I take the neck out of the lady who runs it. She's a personal friend. I always have a, a, a little joke with her, a bit of banter, about the, the goods that they keep in Christian uh, gift shops. And, and so there's a tuck shop where the children get all their sweets. And then you can go in this other little section and you can buy all these, you know, mugs and things. You, you've seen them, they're over to you. You know, too blessed to be stressed. And little crochet things and little pictures and stuff, mood pictures and stuff. It's absolutely amazing, you know, you get pictures like this and then it says, be still. That's all, you know, be still. And these, I don't know, have you got things like this in your home? Maybe you have. Maybe you like these things. I have the too blessed to be stressed mug. I've always thrown it away many, many times. But there we go. And key fobs. And you can buy all this stuff. In, in, in Christian uh, shops, and it's not just in Christian shops. You go into Tesco's or Morrison's, and you get all of these things. They're a bit more neutral, perhaps you don't mention God so much, but you get these things that, you know, kind of nice words for the home. In this home. <laughs> Have you seen them? We exercise love. The rules for the house. Be kind. Considerate. All these things. And these, these things sell by the ton. Why? Why do you feel happier when you, I don't know, look at a picture like that? It does stir something inside of you. Why, why are scenic cruises and scenic tours and 40 pound coffee table scenic books a multi-million pound business. Why is it that these little fridge magnets with philosophical sayings on them sell in their millions? Why? And I was reflecting on this as I was standing in that gift shop again this weekend, and I thought to myself, I think the answer is that part of the essence of our humanity, the way we are wired, is that we have an appetite within us for something beyond us. There is something inside of the human soul, if you like, or just the human being, that recognizes there is something more, or at least we want there to be something more, something that we can appreciate, something greater in beauty. Or to put it perhaps in a more God-centered way, God has made us with a hunger to appreciate something far bigger than ourselves. Indeed, the book of Ecclesiastes says, God has set eternity in our hearts. And we used to talk years ago, didn't we, about everybody had a God-shaped hole that only he could fill. 
Westminster Shorter Catechism, written when Trevor was but a boy in 1648, says this. The chief purpose, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And yet the great tragedy of the human race is that we have become so blind and so foolish that we spend energy and time and money seeking out things in the world that will satisfy this insatiable craving to admire greatness and beauty. And we just don't consider God in all of that. The irony of our human condition, and none of us here are, are an exception to this, is that God put us within sight of the Himalayas, and it's as if we've chosen to pull down the blinds at home and show pictures of Tormelinos. Don't get me wrong, I've been to Tormelinos, but it's not the Himalayas. And every single one of us, I think we know, and I think if I was amongst the people who didn't have any church connection or anything, I think it would still hold. People know that for all our posters and all our postcards and all our rock stars and scenic tours and glossy books, it has never satisfied properly the deepest longings of our hearts. They give some pleasure, of course they do. And they make the drudgery of life a little bit more bearable, but they can never compare to the times when you walk to the window, raise the blinds, throw open the shutters, and wow, see something wonderful. And here's the thing, for us as Christians, I think the most beautiful thing in the world that we can see is the glorious risen Jesus. And I share this with you because this weekend I have fallen back in love with Christ in a way that I wish I had the words to explain to you. I have encountered Jesus, the risen Jesus, this weekend in a profound way. What I have seen God doing in the people that I have the privilege of pastoring, what I have the conversations I've had over meal times. Some of you have been at Hill House with us. I don't want those of you who weren't there to feel that you've missed out, but you have. <laughs> but I'm telling you, God was doing something. And as we had the privilege of baptizing Steph and listening to her testimony, and it was just all wonderful. And I just became so aware again of the reality and the power of Jesus to change people's lives. And I'm being honest with you, as your pastor, one of your pastors, that has stirred me. And it has, oh, I got goosebumps. And it's, it's awesome. And if your life is flat and empty and without exhilaration and without significance, without a single and fulfilling orientation, I want to ask you, could it be that you don't see Jesus for who he really is? Because my eyes have been opened this weekend. Some of you perhaps see him scarcely at all. Others of you maybe have a, a small and sentimental picture of him in your mind. And you're starving for the real thing. You're craving for the real thing. Oh, please, I pray tonight that you will see him in all his glory. So I want you to turn with me to that chapter that Viv read. There are a few Bibles at the end of every pew. Maybe you've got an app on your phone or whatever. 
Let's go to Matthew 28. Because the last chapter of Matthew's Gospel is a wonderful window that opens up onto the majesty and the splendor and the grand glory of the risen Jesus. And I want to share three things with you that I see here in Matthew 28 as I consider Jesus in all his risen power and glory. I think we see three things. They are his power, we see his kindness, and we see his purposefulness. Three things that I want to share with you in the time that we've got left. Surely what we long to see and know is a person whose power is unlimited, whose kindness is tender, and whose purpose is single and unflinching. Novelists and poets and filmmakers and TV writers now and then create, I think, a bit of a shadow of that person, but they can no more fill our longing to worship him than this month's National Geographic magazine can satisfy my longing for the Puerto Rican. We need the real thing. So let me take you on a journey into Matthew 28 this evening, uh, which will hopefully help us do exactly that. And then we'll consider those three aspects, the power, the kindness, and the purposefulness of Christ. Come with me to Matthew 28, because Matthew 28 is, is a very interesting um, section of scripture and a very interesting record of what takes place with the resurrection. In Matthew's account, Jesus makes two appearances after his resurrection. First, you remember in verse 9, to the women, he meets with them, it's a sudden thing, and greetings, he said, they came to him, they clasped his feet and worshipped. And the second appearance is, of course, to the 11 disciples in Galilee. And you notice what happened when they saw him, they worshipped him. Some doubted. It seems very clear to me that for Matthew, therefore, he wants to say to us that a proper response to encountering the risen Jesus is that first and foremost, you would worship him. That's the first thing that should be happening. And don't miss the astonishing thing that, that's going on here. Because you, you need to come to Matthew 28 with all the other 27 chapters. Because back in Matthew chapter 4, you've got an incredible thing happening in the wilderness three years earlier. Do you remember what happened? The devil meets with Jesus. And the devil uh, tempts him in various ways. And one of the things that the devil says to Jesus is, all this, the kingdoms of the world, I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? Away from me, Satan. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Wow. Because now come to Matthew 28. What's happening? People are meeting the risen Jesus and they are worshipping him. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. When he rises from the dead, men and women bow at his feet and worship him, and he receives it without a second thought. This is no mere man. 
This is no angel. This is no creature uh, from everlasting to everlasting. This is God, through whom and for whom all things exist. I love that kind of drawing upon what happened in the wilderness and now the reality of the risen Christ. Matthew 28 is a, a window of worship. We are here tonight in the presence of the risen Christ. We are here tonight and we're looking through this window of worship. We worship the risen Jesus in all his glory, in all his splendor, in all his power, in all his kindness, in all his purposefulness. We worship him. All heaven declares the glory of the risen Christ. Wow. We are here to worship. So with that as the, the background, as it were, that, that sense of worship, let's look at these three aspects I talked about. The first we want to look at is his power. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 is very interesting. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. I, I wish there was a way with words here, just to make you realize what that means. Because I think we read that and it slips off the tongue and we don't give a second. Look carefully at those words, would you? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I don't know what your party politics are, but I'll tell you this much. Jesus has more authority than Theresa May. Now you might say, that ain't difficult. <laughs> but she has more authority than Donald Tusk. She has more authority than President Trump. She has more authority than Kim Jong-un. She has more, he has more authority than Her Majesty the Queen. More authority than all the powers of Al-Qaeda. More authority than China. Indeed, if you gathered all the authority of all the governments and armies of the world and put them on a scale and you balanced that against the authority of the risen Jesus, there would be an imbalance. Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. The risen Jesus. All of it. That is profound. When's the last time you considered that? You know, we get on with our lives. I get on with my life. I think this is one of the things that happened to me this week. This is why I had to spend time this morning kind of back in the word and looking at what the Lord is laying on my heart for tonight. Because this means that the risen Jesus has the right to tell every single one of us on this planet what they should do, what they should think, what they should feel. He has absolute and total authority over your life and over mine. He has absolute authority over risk. Over every city, over every county, over every country. The risen Jesus Christ is so great, he is greater than you and I can get our puny little minds around. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Our king has absolute unlimited authority over our lives. Think about that. You think you can go on and do what the heck you like? 
There will come a day when you will have to give an account for that. And if we don't bow and worship him and trust him and obey him, then we're committing high treason against Christ the King, who is God, who is to be worshipped. When Jesus raised from the dead is God's open declaration that he lays claim on every person, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Jesus raised from the dead has to do with power and authority. Jesus raised from the dead is the claim of the risen Jesus on every life that breathes air. All of them, in heaven and on earth, is mine, he says. Your marriage is his to rule. Your business is his to rule. Your career is his to rule. Your home is his to rule. Your relationships, your children, your holiday, your body. He is God. And he has absolute authority over all if you resist his claim, if you feel no admiration for his infinite power and authority, and turn finally to seek satisfaction from thrills in the, that allow you to be your own master, well, it's treason. This little verse has blown my mind. All authority. You know, I sometimes think I have a lot of authority. A lot of people put a lot of trust in me, particularly with some of the work I do outside of the liar. You don't know me well enough that you don't bother, but there you go. And I suddenly realized, nothing. It's nothing. It's all his. The risen Jesus has all authority, not only on earth, but in heaven. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I think Matthew brilliantly gives us a glimpse of, of, of what that means. Look at verses 2, 3, and 4. Brilliant little section. There was a violent earthquake. An angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. What's going on there? I don't know what you think of when you picture angels in your mind. Perhaps flying creatures with long golden hair and delicate feathery wings. <laughs> Tiny cherubim-like fat babies. Is that, is that what you picture? Because if that's the case, it isn't going to impress you that the risen Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. But if you could imagine how powerful an angel, according to scripture, actually is, and how many angels there are, according to scripture, and what it's going to be like when the Son of Man rides his great white stallion at the head of countless armies of heaven against the mutiny of this world, then I think you'll be a bit more impressed. Would you pray a bit for the gift of imagination so that we could, in our mind's eye, see what it means that the risen Jesus is the colonel-in-chief over countless angels 
who are mightier than men and indestructible because of their immortality. You know, when they gather for salvation and destruction, there's no laser beams and no space-age nuclear technology that will have any effect on them. I was reading the other day some of those beautiful images of the risen Jesus and his angels. You know, in Matthew 24, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Matthew writes, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to them. All who draw the sword will die by the sword. This is about Peter, do you remember? Do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? What about Thessalonians? Paul writes, give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. It will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Punish those who don't know God and don't obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day that he comes to be glorified in his holy people and be marveled at among those who believe. It includes you because you believe God's testimony. And then in 1 Peter chapter 3, beautiful description. Water symbolizing baptism that saves you, not only the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with the angels, authorities, and powers in submission to Him. When did we last think of Christ in this way? When the angel in Matthew 28 descended with the power of an earthquake and the appearance of lightning to announce the resurrection of Jesus, it means all authority in heaven had been given to the risen Christ and thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of indestructible angels obey his every word. You and I get to meet with him tonight. And he will go with you tonight. And he will be with you tomorrow. And I think for some of you, as I look out, I know some of your circumstances in life, and they are very difficult. I want you to know you are not alone, and this Jesus that I'm talking about is with you. He is with you. And he is so The second thing to see through this window of Matthew 28 is not only is he powerful, he's incredibly kind. Sarah, I was just to say to Catherine when she was a young girl, all I want you to do, darling, is marry a kind man. Like I did. <laughs> Kindness. Why did we last talk about kindness? There's that song, isn't there? The Kindness of the Saviour. It's one of the few songs in Christian circles that uses that attribute. But Jesus is incredibly kind. 
As you look at the gospel accounts, you see his kindness coming out again. I see it in verses 5 through 10 of Matthew 28. Do you remember the angel first tells the women not to fear? Again and again, this is the thing that goes on in scripture, isn't it? Don't be afraid. And then in verse 7, the angel commands them to go and tell the disciples that Jesus is risen and he's going to meet them in Galilee. And verse 8 says that they ran to do just that, and it says, afraid, yet filled with joy. That's very honest, isn't it? Don't be afraid, so they scarper off, terrified, but full of joy. And then a wonderful thing happened, the kindness of the Savior. Jesus intercepts them. Why? They were on their way obeying what they'd been told by the angel. Don't be afraid, go. That's what they were doing. They were doing exactly what the angel commanded. And Jesus, well, he simply seems to repeat the angel's command, doesn't he? Verse 10, don't be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. Why? Do you see the kindness there? Look closely at it. Look closely at the verse. Because you'll miss it so easily. Here is kindness, pure, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing, a kindness, an unnecessary bonus from the big heart of the risen Jesus. These kind things that he does. Because look at what he says. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. Go and tell my brothers. I missed that so many times. The angel, what did the angel do? Oh, I have time to go back through. The angel didn't say that. The angel had been talking about disciples. You compare it and contrast it. You see it yourself in the text. But here, if not, you look. My brothers. I wonder, do you know the kindness of the Savior for yourself? It's another reason why I've fallen back in love with him this weekend. Mary Magdalene knew it, the woman at the well knew it, the Roman centurion knew it, the kindness of Jesus. Call in that lot, brothers. The ones who botched it and mucked up and got it wrong. The ones who deserted him and fled when it matters. The angel said to the women in verse 5, don't be afraid. Verse 8 the women hurried away from the tomb afraid. But when Jesus meets them, he says, greetings. Your translation is to say, hail. Literally means rejoice. Repeat the angel's command, do not be afraid. Do you know what I think was going on? I think the women were really apprehensive. I think they were thinking, oh, blinking out. And women are far more perceptive than us fellas, let's just be honest. I think the women were thinking, if Jesus is alive and he gets his hands on these boys <laughs> that have deserted him and let him down, oh, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be a whole lot of trouble. If Jesus really is risen with all authority on earth, and is ready now to establish that this is what they would have thought, the worldwide reign of the Messiah, what is he going to do to these turncoat disciples who denied him and deserted him in his greatest hour of need? But then the kindness comes. 
kindness beyond human measure. With one word, he stills their fears. The angel had said, go quickly, go be done. Tell his disciples, verse 10. Jesus turns around and says, verse 10, it's on that. If you've ever blown it in your relationship with Jesus, if you've ever failed massively in some area of your personal discipleship, hey, I just want to say this to you tonight, tonight, don't despair. The family. Give them that. Isn't that beautiful? Don't think about it. Kindness. Kindness from a saviour. I think Matthew even goes further, you know, he shows the kindness of Jesus in that he wraps up his whole gospel by reminding the disciples, I knew you, even to the very end. How kind is that? How kind is that tonight? The risen Jesus is infinitely powerful. The risen Jesus is immeasurably kind. And finally, Let's look through this window again of Matthew 28. And we see his purpose for this. You know, if you're going to admire and worship the risen Jesus, you've got to see that his power and his kindness have purpose. I don't know about you, but people who dither wind me up. I was behind somebody like this going through Bridgewater. This is before I got behind you. <laughs> I did one. They acted no clue which lane they were meant to be in. And they, they lacked direction. And you meet people like that in life, not just on the road. And you couldn't, you couldn't give your life to somebody like that, could you? Somebody who doesn't know what they're about, what they're doing. And indeed, there's part of the problem in our world today. You can't point at many people anymore who, and, and say, well, yes, they know exactly where they're going. Verse 19 shows that the risen Jesus has a clear, well-defined purpose. He knows exactly who he is and what he's about. Look at it, verse 19. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You go. Make disciples of all nations. There is a clear, well-defined purpose of the risen Jesus here, and that is to empower his church to make his authority known in every culture on planet Earth. And the reasons why he said, I'm with you always, because our mission is his business. So whenever somebody bows the knee to Jesus and accepts him as their Lord and Savior, we know for sure Jesus is there. If that happens in Risca, Jesus is there. If that happens in Guatemala, Jesus is there. If that happens in Uganda, Liberia, Cameroon, Mexico, Philippines, Japan, Egypt, because I just wrote a lot of places there. It doesn't matter. Jesus is there. Because the risen Jesus isn't going around in circles. The risen Jesus isn't having to listen to his sat nav turn around when it's safe to do so. He's not fumbling through, uh, flipping through the operational man manual. No, 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 no. He knows exactly what he's doing because he's on point. He knows exactly what he's doing and why. He's got a clear and defined purpose. And he gives that to you and he is his church. And he says, you go. You make disciples of all nations, and I'm with you to the very end of the age. Wow. The power of the risen Jesus, the kindness of the risen Jesus, and the purpose of the risen Jesus.
Don't you want to admire such a person? With infinite power and immeasurable kindness and unswerving purpose. Perhaps your appetite for his beauty is just beginning. Maybe I've whetted that tonight for you a little bit. I think the old hymn got it absolutely right, you know. The old hymn says, Carmen with many crumbs. The lamb upon his Ah, how the heavenly anthem drowns all these. But it's a noble soul and sin. Die for thee and hail him as thy chosen king through all eternity. Crown the Son of God before the world began. And ye tread where he hath trod, crowned the Son of Man. Then the grief hath known that he is a human to us. He takes and bears and throws over all that went on against Crown him the Lord of life, who triumphed over the grave and rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. <laughs> His glory is now. He died and rose on high. He died eternal life to win. And lives that death may die. Crown him the Lord of heaven. Enthroned in worlds above. Crown him the king who was given the wondrous name of love. All hail the And thou hast died for me. My patient never, never gratitude. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. He's amazing. I hope you love him. I hope you find him as amazing as I do. I hope he blows your socks off this week. That's a deeply theological thing. 